This episode of the Two Fit Crazies in a Microphone podcast is brought to you by TFC Productions. Two Fit Crazy Productions, TFC Productions, that's our production company helping people with their podcasts. Increase your brand, grow your business by creating your very own podcast, and we are here to help you every step of the way. You do not have to do all the work. We do a lot of it for you. This podcast is also brought to you by ContiFit.com. Get the best online training, the best in arthritis, in let's face it together, facial fitness and rehabilitation, all sorts of functional fitness training at your fingertips. That's ContiFit.com. Also brought to you by High Five Health and Fitness. Uh, virtual health coaching sessions and corporate wellness programs, all the information at high5healthandfitness.com. It is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are Two Fit Crazy. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Brian, 2021, yes. here we come. It is fantastic. Um, by the way, we had a pretty damn good guest today by the name of Angelo Gingerelli. I love saying that. That's name. right. That's a oh, real New name. Jersey name. Love it. Yeah, wait do you hear this guy. He's fired up. It's great. This is a good conversation. Uh, Angelo's the strength and conditioning coach at Seton Hall University. Hmm. D1, high level, right? He's fantastic. Working with a lot of different athletes from golf or women's golf to um, you know men's and women's soccer to the cross country kids to you know the baseball kids. There's a lot going on, and uh, he's got it covered. He's got a lot of energy. I love it. He does. First of all, if I had to work out all, all I know is that I've had to lift with one team, it would be the baseball team because you said they're super fun, like Jersey boys who listen to techno. So I was all in as soon as he said that. Um, but what's so awesome about him being a strength and conditioning coach is that he comes from a background of Olympic lifting and powerlifting, which many strength and conditioning coaches have that background. Sure. I'm just saying from no, my personal like experience the, yeah that's the, the um, casting call as an athlete my entire life but he actually is now for the last decade has been a marathon runner and endurance athlete which i love this because it hits home for me who was an athlete and you know hang clean push pressing snatching as much as i could and now as an endurance athlete there's there's just something about it, um, whether it's you get older or evolve or we just need to get away from our hectic life and go for a run. I don't know. Um, As he says, you can always stay home and watch so much Peppa Pig. You know, you got to get out the door sometimes and go for a run. Right. Uh, you know, it's tough to it's tough to get a uh, pickup, uh, you know, bodybuilding competition, you know, <laughs> nowadays or even a pickup soccer game Truth. nowadays. So, Truth. you know, the endurance running is, you know, endurance uh, events is sometimes where it lies. And uh, it's great. You know, it's great that he could uh, pivot, uh, you know, <laughs> the word of the, of the, uh, the, you know, COVID quarantine is pivot. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to make uh, things good for himself. It's, uh, it's pretty neat and it's good, uh, great perspective. That's what it really does. It, you know, it allows him to speak from both angles and mm -hmm. understand all these things um you know a strength and conditioning coach rarely understands the endurance athlete um you know and and uh this is just uh it's really good so he's uh he's he's doing it he's got a book coming out yes finish strong resistance training for endurance athletes this fall 2021 
Um, this is going to be coming out. And what is going to be fantastic, you're going to hear from Angelo today, talk about lifting weights and being strong. And not just, you know, I'm going to be 350 pounds benching this and that and, you know, full of all this muscle and eating all the protein shakes and the chicken breasts. It, it's really a, you know, whatever it is your goal, your purpose is, whether you're a runner, um, whether you're a baseball player, you're a golfer, how are you making yourself strong? Is it, you know, you can't just beat down your body, you know, and he spoke specifically about running. When you've reached that finish line, what's your gait like? What's your cadence? Are you holding yourself in the correct posture or are you, you know, completely crawling across the finish line and it was the worst experience of your life and you can't wait to be done with sports so you can get away from it? Or can we make ourselves strong enough so that it's an enjoyable experience? It's about taking some of those muscles that we're going to use and making them a little bit stronger so that we can use them a little bit better, a little bit longer. And, uh, um, you know, he lays it out for you. It's a really interesting conversation. And uh, like I said, he's got some spirit, Mm -hmm. some fire coming at you from Jersey with this one. Bring it. Yep. So we got uh, two fit crazies and a microphone. Angelo Gingerelli, strength and conditioning coach, Seton Hall University. Go Pirates. Here we go. Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazies. And a microphone. We are where it's at. Brian, what's going on today? Seton Hall Pirates. Yeah. Yeah. New Jersey in the house. That's right. We've got Angelo Gingerelli, strength and conditioning coach at Seton Hall. Angelo, what's going on? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing today? Doing really well. Doing really well. Amazing. Uh, always amazing. Sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> we, great. Joke, we joke around about this, you know. <laughs> Everything's fantastic every day. Um, it's awesome. We have had so many um, presenters that are have been coming to us the last couple months from like, you know, other countries and, and in all these warm climates. And you know what is fantastic? You've got a great accent that makes us feel right at home and you're freezing <laughs> your butt off just like us. Yeah, you know, it, it's been pretty sunny this week, though. I know you guys are runners. Been able to get outside a couple of days. So not for the Jersey Shore in January, it's been pretty decent. I think we all agree on that, right? I always oh, say yeah. we're, we're just stealing days, right? The further mm-hmm. we get down the line here, the further we get into winter without any uh, white stuff or uh, freezing cold and wind, most importantly. Um, I can handle the snow. It's the wind, you know? It mm-hmm. makes it tough to run. No, no question. Um, I got a little bit. I, I do say I've been listening to the episode, uh, listening to your episodes a lot. And the last episode you guys had, you had the fastest man in the world running backwards. And I'm like, how do I possibly follow that? There's no way I could provide that kind of content. Uh, that guy's knocking out miles backwards faster than most people can forward. That was a great episode, though. Oh, he is a ton of. He's so fun, Aaron Yoder. Uh, and uh, you know, you know how you do it. You just change. If you go, we go from backwards to forwards. We change mm-hmm. our direction and. Uh, we apply some force, right? And wait, by the way, that's his superpower, okay? Aaron's superpower is running backwards. 
Mine is crazy. <laughs> That's my superpower. We all have, we all shine in different aspects. So fit crazy. Right. There you go. Cool. So, uh, so tell us what's, uh, what's, uh, boots on the ground like at Seton Hall University these days? What, uh, who are you working with? How's, uh, things changed, uh, recently for you? Okay. Well, right now, there's only two teams on campus, which is men's and women's basketball. Um, they're playing games. The guys have gotten a bunch of games in. The women have had a couple hiccups because of COVID. And then a couple games they were supposed to play have been canceled or postponed because those teams had hiccups with COVID. But that's all that's going on right now. Uh, this Monday, we got the rest of the athletes coming back, doing a two-week soft quarantine. And then two weeks after that, we're going to start practices and classes and everything else. So it's a longer winter break than usual for 90% of our athletic department. But uh, hopefully on January 25th, we kind of get rolling and, and play some games and, and compete and you know see how the spring goes. So, so let's start there. They're away from you. Um, do they get homework? What do you, how do you do? What do you set them up? Um, what's the protocol? It, it's, it's, it's a weird time because normally when, when the kids are home, the NCAA is super serious about making everything optional, right? So we have to play by those guidelines, and I completely understand why that's the way it has to be. So we'll post content online. We'll send emails with everybody. I communicate with as many kids as want to communicate, but there's, there can't be any kind of uh, mandatory checkups or call-ins or anything like that. So as you would imagine, there's some kids that are super – eager and super want to get after it and calling me and texting me all the time. And there's so much I just don't see for the entire break, which in a year like this, that's a little scary because the break is just so long. I remember that word optional when I was in college <laughs> and was playing sports. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would have yeah, had what, a, what? <laughs> go, ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was going to say what I, I realized that I, I've been, I've been in this game 20 years, so we could put the, the, hand, the finger quotes around optional <laughs> and we all kind of know what that means. One thing I, I will say, for all the NCAA shortcomings, they are better at enforcing that than ever before. And the kids are smarter at, at because the information is all online and they, they kind of know their rights a little better than, than our generation maybe did. Um, so now some of that stuff that's optional is actually enforced to be optional. Whereas when we were playing sports, and for me there was the 90s, I'm not sure old you guys are, things were a little bit different. But I, I do think that that's one minuscule aspect of college athletics that's definitely gotten better in the last 20 years. It, yeah, it's good. And I think that the kids are more on top of it. I mean, the kids, you know, like you said, the, the information's there. And they are more aware that if they're not doing it, the other kids are, right? So they're kind of um, trying to stay a- ahead of it themselves, um, you know, uh, without the guidance maybe when they're not supposed to. So that they're, that uh, they're opting in. Um, you know, I've, I've just seen that a lot of things like the competitiveness is no longer within the team. It's no longer within, you know, the, whatever the, uh, whiteboard, you know, marks that they're hitting Mm -hmm. within the gym, you know, the facility that you're in. It's like, what's everybody doing elsewhere? And, and, uh, I think it's kind of, um, motivated some kids or, or got them moving in a way that was never really, like you said, the nineties, I'm 40, 45. So, um, you know, it was never that way. You know, we had to wait for like till the middle of the summer to find out what the, kids running kids did across the country you know when the results came yeah yeah i mean there's college coaches and and athletes that put their workouts up almost doing it real time like they're on instagram live showing you what they're doing as they're doing it right um so it does it definitely it gets you know set the bar high or low depending where you are and like well i'm doing more than team xyz but i'm doing less than team abc so i gotta either step up or you know kind of gauge where i am against everybody else by what i'm seeing online which uh, I think I think it's cool, man. I think it's a good good time to be alive and in this field. 
So what's it like working with all of these different high level athletes and what's your, what's your favorite? What's your least favorite? Talk to us a little bit about your day to day. Okay, cool. Um, my, I, right before I've been at St. Olaf's my 16th school year, which is an eternity in college athletics, right? As you guys probably mm-hmm. know. Um, but I really, I hit the lottery 15 years ago on that. I got it. I wanted this job since I was a little kid. I had a Seattle starter jacket when I was in high school. I was a fan <laughs> of basketball teams when I was little. Um, had a Terry DeHair Clippers jersey when he yes. got drafted. So I was just like, it was, and I was working for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I always say the biggest difference in college versus professional is, in college, you might do a 12-hour a day, but every hour is something completely different, right? So at 6, I might have the baseball guys on, and they're one of my favorite teams. I say this right to their faces, but I get along so good with them because they're just like me when I was that age. They're Jersey Shore Guido meatheads that <laughs> like to lift weights and get jacked, right? So we have a ball with that. I, we play techno music in the weight room. We have to get after it. But the next hour might be women's golf, and that vibe changes drastically. You know what I mean? Right. So maybe we're, we're doing our warm-up and our stretch, and I'm, I'm talking to them about what happened on Bravo last night before we get into our workout. Um, and then the hour after that might be men's soccer. We've got a lot of European kids, and English is a second language, and we're just talking about you know, that that world a little bit. And, you know, soccer training is different than baseball, different than tennis. And I really like it. And then for the my background is really in powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting. But the last 10 years, I got into to marathoning, right? And that kind of got me into connecting better with our cross-country kids, our swimmers, our distance athletes. And now, like, I really like working with them in a way. I just I didn't have an appreciation for what they did before I jumped in that world myself. So, you know, a lot of times those kids don't, don't connect well with strength coaches because strength coaches have that – that power strength background as I did, but the last 10 years I've really gotten to enjoy working with them. So I think the biggest thing, if you're, if you're listening to this and thinking about getting involved in college athletics on the strength and conditioning side, the days could be long. The compensation isn't always great for everybody, but the idea of connecting with that many different people and doing something different every hour or two throughout the course of a day is, is really fun and exciting to me still at this point. I, I love that. I mean, you just really nailed it because um, you know, one thing that I say a lot on this show is as trainers, um, we train people, right? We don't, you know, you don't train a sport. You train a sport a certain way, but there's people involved and you have to be versatile. You have to, you have to change things up. You have to understand the, the audience and, you know, you have to be that way. If not, you're just going to be bland across the board. You're not going to hit on anybody. Um, so that's, you know, just a really cool perspective that you just laid out for us to, to really understand that, you know, everything's going to be different and you got to, you know, have your head on a swivel because uh, here comes something else. That's uh, that's that's a good perspective you just offered. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate that. Right, you know, I see over 250 student athletes. That's 250 individuals from radically different backgrounds all over the, over the world, really. We have a lot of international kids um, and uh, training ages all over the map. Like we got baseball guys that come in and they look like grown men, right? They've been lifting weights since they were 12 in their basement. And we have, you know, soccer guys and cross country kids that have literally not exaggerating, never seen a barbell before. Um, <laughs> and we're trying to, trying to make, make it work for them. And see, I'm sure you guys see the same thing in the private sector. You got people that come in, they, maybe they know how to train. They just haven't done it in a while or they, they, they had a good program before and they fell off it. Then you have people that come in and just have never, been in a gym before and that obviously got to address that completely differently with your programming and your approach right just the way you explain things got to be different to someone that's never never seen equipment before let alone actually you don't know, use it properly you know it, it's it's amazing it's like you know people say what's your program i said well show me the client show me the person 
right? It's their goal. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's got to be different. It's a, it's amazing. Um, all right, so you have a very unique uh, setup because you're in, you know, university, Division One sports, athletics, um, with no football team, uh, you know, and that is a lot of times what drives you know, the hiring and the, and, you know, the, the whole scene of the athletic facilities, um, will be, you know, more or less football driven. Um, you know, and you've been at some other schools that have that, how are things different, uh, on that, um, level? I, I think if you look at most of the, the, you know, the bigger state schools, they think we're here on college football, right? What's happened over the last 20 years since I've been at school in football, a lot of times football is kind of its own entity away from the rest of the department. So you have football and then you have the rest of the athletic department. There might be in different facilities or different parts of the same facility. Whereas in a small place like Seton Hall, we're kind of all in the same place, which is a little different than what you think about a lot when places I've been or people I talk to. Um, like all our athletes eat in the same dining hall. So you might have a basketball kid, a baseball kid, and a cross-country runner all at the same table, right? They're in the classes together. Um, it's a little bit smaller, obviously, financially. It, pre- it presents some, some challenges. Our men's team plays in the Prudential Center where the New Jersey Devils play. We don't play on campus. So getting, you know, fans out to that and games out, that's a challenge you don't have if you have a, you know, 80, 100,000-seat football stadium right on campus. Um, so, yeah, it's, just, it's a different – it's a different animal to some extent, but I think one of the positives of it is there's not, you know, football and everybody else. We're kind of all on the same boat, all on the same very small campus in the same small facility, uh, trying to make it work together, which I think is a little, you know, built some camaraderie between the kids that you might not have if you're at a Ohio state or a Penn state or something like that. And, it, and it's also still a bit of a commuter school, right? I mean, um, do people, most of it's on campus or do people, Yeah, I, I would say somewhere around 90% of our student athletes live on campus, right? But for our regular students, it's kind of the opposite. Only about 10% live on campus. So that the challenge becomes, how do you get kids that are only coming to campus to go to games I mean, to go to class, to come to our events, to come to our games. It makes it hard in our marketing department to fill up a big basketball stadium or even a small baseball stadium um, because it's such a commuter school. And then this, this year has been even even worse to some extent because you had the option to take all your classes online. So if you were, to say, for example, driving to Seton Hall from, let's say, Elizabeth, why would you deal with that North Jersey traffic on Route 1 and 9 every day when you could just sit on your tablet or your phone and do it from the comfort of your bed? Sure. I understand why people stop coming at some point. I love the fact that you just said that Seton Hall never had a football program. I thought they did for some reason and they, didn't for, you know, what? They, I, I, most people don't remember this. They did in the mid to late seventies. They had a team for a couple of years that one of my uncles actually played on hmm. while it was there. Um, and then, but it was very short lived. I'm not sure what huh. conference they were in, but it's one of those like weird asterisks in a trivia game that technically there was a football team for a few years um, and then from like 1980 until till right now, it's never been been a thing. I want to talk about a couple things. Number one, um, I went, to, I did my undergrad and played volleyball for Binghamton University. We didn't have cool. a football program, and it was everyone thought, "Oh my, that is so bizarre." That's how could you be at a D1 school with no football program? You know what was awesome is that you. And again, I also did my grad work at the University of Maryland because – and of course, like that's a huge football school and whatnot. And I got to experience um, that dynamic even though I wasn't, you know, like in with the athletes as much as I was with, you know, being my undergrad is that they – I want to say that like you said, they treat the athletes on more of an even playing field. I have to say that. Um, and more people will attend – 
different sports that they may not have attended. Um, and that I thought was really cool in and of itself to see the difference of, you know, what is it like to be on a campus that does not have a program versus what does. I personally, you know, in hindsight, I love the football program. So I'm just, so I'm just you know, I got to experience the best of both worlds. Um, but our strength and conditioning coach, you know, really had a lot of time that entire, um, you know, the entire strength and conditioning, I would say, you know, everyone that was involved in the, in the program were great and, you know, could cater specifically to, you know, every single team without having that extra, you know, what, 200 people that would be, you know, kind of weighing on them as well. So I thought that was really cool. And the other thing is that going from powerlifting and Olympic lifting to marathoning, what the heck, A, what, what okay. were you thinking? B, what was that transition like? Was it like, oh, hey, I want to do this? Or how did that come about? Sure, I, I got you. I know you guys talk about pivoting a lot in your show, so I'll talk about this. But one thing, just to Christine's point, I, everyone agrees there's a ton of issues with football in general, particularly NCAA college football. And I'm not going to look at this with rose-colored glasses, but I will say if you're from New Jersey and have never been to a big-time college football game, that is a special Saturday afternoon in your life. Even if you've been to Jets and Giants games, it's a, it's a, it's almost hard to explain if you haven't experienced that. But I will say, if you get a chance to, to do that at some point in your life, it's something you should definitely see that that just spectacle of what happens at these stadiums on Saturday afternoons. That being said, um, I grew up down the shore in Tom's River, went to Tom's River High School East. My high school had a, a strength and distance coach who I'm still super close with now, you know, 25 years after I graduated. Um, so I got into powerlifting through that, then Olympic lifting. And then I didn't compete in anything for about five years. And then in around 2010, I was writing for a magazine called Fit in New Jersey. The whole staff was going was to train together and run a 10-mile run in Philadelphia. And we, I did that along with my girlfriend at the time, now she's my wife, and just kind of caught the bug. And I was like, well, if I could run a 10-mile race, let me try a half marathon. Enjoy that. Um, then I tried the New Jersey Marathon the next year, which was 2011. And just kind of, kind of been hooked for the last decade now. Um, it, it was a, a little bit of an odd transition physically, but, um, you know, I always say a lot of kids, college kids, they don't like running. And the joke I always make is you don't like running because the rest of your life is great right now, right? Get a couple kids, get a job that probably should get four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> get some, you know, car trouble and health insurance issues and stuff like that. And then that, that two hour run for a you know, 15 miler, that's the best part of your day. Um, <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but man, I, you guys, you guys are in a hustle like me. There's days when I, I'll put it in my head. I know real runners don't wear headphones, but I still do occasionally. I'll throw a podcast on, I'll throw a new album on, and go kill an hour or two, and come back feeling great, and look forward to the next one when it's over. Um, and I think that kind of comes with age and just just appreciation for time and getting some alone time every once in a while. I love that you go out for a run, man. You, you free your mind, your ass will follow. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, think about it, man. If you're 22 and it's like, should I go for a run or get dressed to go to Bar 8 and like, with all my boys? <laughs> Bar 8 is a lot better, right? You get to be 45 and you're like, should I go for a run or watch another 10 episodes of Peppa Pig with my kids? That run's kind of fun. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely hits. I like to party too much when I was younger. I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. Oh, if you had a choice of like, okay, um, you could possibly, you know, go out and I'm a much meet, better runner meet, now. <laughs> meet someone to bring home, yeah. or you can go for a run. I mean, it was like really an easy choice. But oh my gosh, it's. Um, I always said like no one likes running. I grew up with running as like a punishment. 
um, sports punishment. Right, as a sports yeah. punishment. Yeah, do it again. Yeah. And it was like, no, you're running six wall touches and, you know, this. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So, yeah, that, that weird transition, I'm wondering, like, for myself, I'm very lean right now because of running. And people are always like, what do you do? I'm like, I just run. I, I run. I enjoy it. And they're like, well, and I'm like, I am not always like this. In college, I was 40 pounds heavier and I was hang clean, push pressing, mm. snatch, you name it. Because that was the power explosiveness you needed. Um, and I think, you know, so what happened with your lifting now that you're running? Well, th- that's the thing that, that kind of led to the, the book I have coming out later this year. I kept lifting. And I'm, I'm in a weird spot because I, I, I'm, I'm the attitude. If you're going to be a strength coach, personal trainer, performance coach, you got to be able to do most of the stuff you're asking your athletes to do and your clients to do, right? So I continued to, to you know, be good at power clean, snatches, squats, delts, mainly so I could demonstrate and not get made fun of by the people I was training, right? Um, <laughs> and then I would obviously, but I would, I would cycle it in and out. So for example, I'm training for a marathon the month or two before that I'm doing, you know, way more, less ballistic kind of maintenance type work. And then when I'm in my off season, I don't have any races coming up, then I'll get after it, try to squat a little bit heavier, you know, clean a little bit heavier again, stuff like that. Um, not being said, I don't think every marathon or traffic needs to do push presses and power cleans and stuff like that. I'm in a unique case where I have to do it for my job every day and demonstrate stuff. But I do think lifting weights and being strong is, is a big component to finishing races and being able to finish. The reason why I kind of, kind of got, got in this lane of writing this book is I see so many endurance athletes get to the end of a race, get to the end of a season. And just they just look at it like the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Their body is depleted and weak, and they just can't wait till it's over. And my thing's like, if we could stay a little bit stronger and not feel that beat down after every workout, can we finish a race and be happy about it and look forward to the next one? And I think that's kind of what I want to see in the in the impact I like to have in the endurance space is it doesn't have to be just a long, drawn-out slog through miserable mile after miserable mile. Can you stay healthy? Can you stay strong and feel good about yourself when you finish a big event or a season? Um, and I think lifting's really helped me do that, and I like to kind of teach other people that, that same idea. I, I love that. I, I love it, and I love everything that you just kind of nailed on. I mean, some of and these we've seasons debated with people so, about this. Yeah, and and there's well, you know there's some debate as to you know the science and the data behind it. And and but look, I work a lot with high school kids, right? That that's my niche is is strength training for runners, and and it's because I'm a good endurance athlete and and, and I'm a and a trainer, and I understand both sides of it. And and a lot of it is just that, like these seasons are long. Like a girls' high school, boys and girls cross country season in high school goes from July to no end of November. It's long. If it's just running, the strength is going to go away. It has to be there. It has to. And um, you know, and then from there they're moving on the indoor track, and then from there they're going on the outdoor track, and it's just one long thing. Um, you know, and and it's not to say that that running more isn't going to make you a better runner because it is. But how are we going to run more? How are we going to be able to run more? Is we're going to be able to stay strong so that we can run more? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think you hit the nail on the head. I, the, the, it's not a joke. It's a, it's a real statement. But if you look at a picture of a starting line of any race, everybody looks pretty good running mechanics-wise, right? Most people that show up to the starting line look pretty good. Check in with those same group of people at the finish line. How do we look? Is our posture still good? Is our stride still good? Are we still making ground contact the way we did however many miles ago? And I think there's something to be said for being able to maintain 
good posture, good running mechanics, good breathing cadences, and being strong enough to do that. And I think one thing happened at the high school level, and you're, you're involved in this more than I am, but I'll test it at the college level. Everybody's a good runner in July, right? right? But if we just keep breaking ourselves down through August, September, October, when we get to November, now everybody looks meek and, and, and gone and drawn out and just not, and they're not running the way they were a couple of months ago. And I think that that's, I think the weight room can solve some of those problems. I think we're, we're fools. We don't say nutrition and hydration and sleep are part of the problem. And then I think we got to address at some point coaches that have kind of forgotten what it feels like to go on these long runs and come back um, and realize what we're asking of, asking of people. Um, anyway, and I think one thing that, I, that I'm pretty good at at the college level is realizing that these are college student athletes, right? And their goal is not to run in the Olympics, 99%. Of their goal is to be an architect or a finance guy or girl or whatever it is after. So they're doing internships, they're going to class, they're doing a million other things. Can we sneak the weight room in and get something out of it while we're doing these hundreds of miles a month um, and, and feel good at the end of the month and not just, just be down by it? Yeah, and, and, and it's – it's not that it's in addition to your running program. It's part of your running program. It is your running program. It's, you know, it, it mixes in with the running. It's just another piece to the puzzle along with the nutrition and the sleep and the rest and the hydration and all those things. It, it, you know, it has to be there. And, you know, again, we're talking about on my end, uh, you know, it, it might be a kid who I, I'll ask them, you know, in July, stand on one foot and they're wobbly, right? Well, runners right. are one, you know, is, is, that's a single-legged sport. We're bounding over and over again. You know, we got to get a little bit stronger if you can't, you know, balance on one foot for 30 seconds. Um, so there's something to it, um, and it works really well. I mean, I, I get to work with these kids, and they like it. It's a, it's a change of pace for them. Um, you know, they don't have to – it's not another run. It's something cool, you know. I always say to them, I said, did you flex in the mirror yet? you liar and they say right. they say no and i say you're a liar well one thing i like to say as a kind of a, a student of strength and conditioning and sports in general to me the endurance sports you know you're cycling you're running and you're swimming are with weight training right now where baseball was in the 80s right a couple people are kind of into it you hear about it a little bit but it hasn't hit, and it took the 90s and unfortunately the steroid era in baseball for kids to realize that if you're going to hit a home run you got to kind of look like Mark McGuire, right? Or at least be on the road to that <laughs> right. at a young age. And for all, all the negative, those that era and those guys did for, for lifting weights in baseball, kids now, baseball kids get at a very young age. You got to develop your body. You got to have an off season and you got to get, if you're going to, you know, play baseball at that level, you got to be big and strong, but that hasn't hit the endurance sports yet. So I, I, I think that, I think it's coming at some point. Um, I think, I mean, like you said, the, the research is is debatable to some extent. Maybe if you're going to be a world-class marathon or a triathlete, having some muscle mass isn't necessarily the best idea. But if you're going to be the just a regular person that competes on the stuff recreational, the high school or college level, I don't see how being stronger would be a, a, a negative, wouldn't be a, a, a plus, you know? Here, here. Absolutely. Love it. Talk, um, tell yeah. us about the book. Yes, book. Book, book, book. Cool. Uh, it's, we were supposed to come out at the end of 2020. COVID has unfortunately shut down a lot of the world and a lot of the manufacturing plants. So we got a little bit more time to edit and do some cool illustrations and add some appendices, which I'm happy about. It's coming out on Bloomsbury Publishing. It's a company out in England. Uh, we're looking at fall of 2021. So the manuscript is done. Uh, we're in the very final stages of like cover design and stuff like that right now. And then uh, when it comes out, it's going to be in, in stores, you know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all the places you would buy books. 
and I'm gonna try to get in as many you know running specialty stores and places that sell books that would be Apple in New Jersey as possible. But the idea is just basically if you're an endurance athlete now, how do you start strength training? Right. So it's really bare, not bare minimum, but the, the very foundation of how to start adding this stuff into your weekly routine, how to work it around your long runs, your tempo runs, your speed sessions, stuff like that. And just the, the very basic exercises to get started. So our, our, our key reader is someone who's maybe done a, done a couple of marathons, maybe thinking about a triathlon, something like that, and realizes there's something missing and want to take their training to the next level. This book will be the, the very, beginning foundation of that and then maybe we'll do more books maybe we'll do some online stuff to take people from step one to step two to step three but right now it's just kind of it, the book is based on step one and how to implement this kind of stuff into your, your your yearly training plan really so what's the title it's called finish strong uh resistance training for endurance athletes and it's by myself and a doctor of athletic training named Richard Borgers, who is also at Seton Hall. We were working out together and just kind of got this idea and then, you know, pitched it to a couple of publishers. And luckily we, we had a couple that were interested and we signed her Bloomsbury and uh, it'll be out you know, sooner than later, hopefully. I love it. I mean, it's perfect. It, it, you know, it's just uh, it's it's just the right spot. I mean, so many times an athlete will, you know, maybe it's their first. 5k 10k half marathon whatever it is that they're working on especially like the longer stuff the half marathons and the marathons and they run it they want to train for it and then the next thing you know they got this you know an achilles tendon or you know an it band issue or you know the 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 runner's knee or something like that that puts them in a physical therapy situation and they have to get stronger and all these things but you know we can do some of that stuff along the way um and and just make it a little bit more manageable um you know and and not think that you have to go to the gym and be over the top and you know and or take away from your training that you're doing um you know it's good it's going to be a good manual for people to uh to, you know to just to kind of implement some of these things that is going to happen sooner or later if you're going to stay in the game um you know so good stuff appreciate that guys and I, I think one reason one reason why why there hasn't been more of a com- a, a mesh in these two worlds before and I, i'm a big fan of social media i think there's a lot of great stuff out there but we don't normally see it when, when you look at people lifting weights on social media, it's big, monstrous guys and girls stacking 45 on the bar, right, doing crazy box jumps on 58-inch boxes. I think if you're an endurance athlete, you think, well, that's not me. That's not my world, right? But in reality, it's not about putting five more 45s on the bar. It's moving from a 25-pound dumbbell to a 30-pound dumbbell and just progressively overloading your body enough that you see an improvement, right? Um, And one that the media and social media doesn't do well is explaining that there's there's – powerlifting, Olympic lifting, CrossFit, all that stuff's great, right? But there is a, a value in weight training for quote-unquote regular people and your endurance athletes that might not be as fun to watch on Instagram, but definitely has a, has a value. We haven't gotten into this in a while, Brian, about how I would always get into fights with runners. Always. Runners would hate me. She always picks on the wimps. No, not at all. <laughs> you because, get into fights uh, with runners? You know, well, runners would always like, they would definitely, you know, poo-poo me and look down upon me because they would say, you know, and this goes for half marathons to marathons to triathlons to Ironmans. I don't care what it is. People are like, you're not doing enough running. You're not, you need to be doing these miles and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just do my strength training and my plyometrics and my hit training. And, and that's what's going to work. And they, you know, again, I've been told a lot of things like 
you know, it's there's not going to work. You're going to get hurt. You're well, not going to be ready. There's you a know, fine line. You're going to die. I mean, all there's, of this. There's definitely a level where it's not enough running, it, you know, and then there's definitely a level where it's too much running. You know, you got to figure it out. Right. Everybody's different. But, you know, I think that there's something to be said for, you know, adding that strength training and, you know, reducing the risk of injury and having it something that is a lifestyle as opposed to just a very finite amount of time. And, you know, when we get into this, and especially I'd, I'd love to hear this from you as a um, strength and conditioning coach in college, a lot of strength and conditioning coaches get a bad rap because it's, you know, we've got to push people to lift as much as they can and, you know, get as much out of them as possible. But then, you know, you're you're kind of walking that line of, you know, there, oh, there goes a, you know, ACL. Oh, there goes another rotator cuff or, or whatnot. And then, you know, it's almost like you hold some of these it's almost like you hold their your their fate in your hands sometimes of what could they be like in the future as they get older. Um, you know, in the fitness world, it's all about longevity. Well, I don't want to be 65 and unable to walk and care for myself because I was a great athlete back in the day. And, I, you know, so how how do you feel about that? Okay, two two, uh, two things now, real quick. When, uh, about you fighting with runners or picking on wimps, as Brian <laughs> just said. Whenever, whenever anybody t- uh, tells me they're training with that level of certainty that what I'm doing is wrong, they're doing absolutely right. Is Mike, Mike? If you didn't break a world record, how do you know you optimize your training? Right? How do you, right. say you, you if you if you stand? I ran a three hour marathon. You can't tell me nothing. Well, how do you know if you did something different? You wouldn't run two fifty. Nobody knows that, right? It's the best and the worst thing about our industry is that we do the best we can and think we're doing it right. But with the exception of people at the, the very top end of world-class elite athletes, and even at that level, you can argue, we don't know if we really maximized our human potential. We may think we did or we had a great cycle and a great training time and a great competition. But always like, even me, at my at this stage of the game, for me, of 20 years in the field, 10 years, I'm always questioning what I did and whether I treated my own body the the way I should have, did I, did I eat right the night before, did I sleep enough, whatever it might be. Um, the college training and distance coach is getting a bad rap, and I'm not going to say it's not deserved sometimes. I think the biggest issue with, with college athletics is the, the players are a short-term, low-cost investment for the athletic department, right? It's a four-year deal on a scholarship that if that kid didn't take it, another kid would. Um, and the idea is like, what do we get out of them over four years? And what really changed my mind in that thought process was about 10 years ago, I started teaching uh, college classes, right? So I've been doing that for a decade. And it hit me that people know so little about the human body. There's kids that graduate high school and don't know what a calorie is, don't know what a macronutrient is, don't have any idea what a reasonable level of training is. And the joke I always make is in college, we beat them down and make them hate physical activity. Then I see an alumni event a year after and they got so big, they looked they ate the mushroom on Super Mario Bros. <laughs> right? So, my, so my, I've really the last ten years kind of, kind of got all right. So, I, if I could brag, I got ten baseball guys that could bench three fifteen or more. All right, where are they right now? Are they playing in the majors? Are they having good careers? Are they having families? If they're not being out there being good citizens and took their baseball career as far as they can, I think I dropped the ball. Right. And that record board and that 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 Instagram post is meaningless to me. Um, I think the biggest thing is you got to look at it's a short term investment for the athletic department for the four years max, but it's a long term investment in that person. And my goal is to see every kid come back to our alumni stuff or come back to a game or, or shoot me an email, hit me up on Instagram and tell me, 
oh, I'm still training, I'm still working out, I'm remembering the nutrition lecture you did in class, and it's I'm I'm still in decent shape at 30. I'm not just I didn't you know college athletics didn't beat me down to the point where I hate working out and I don't do anything physical anymore. Um, and that's one thing we it's one thing we definitely need to get get better at as a profession. Um, taking our high end athletes and not making it such a job that they can't wait to retire from it and go be a complete sedentary adult. My gosh. I mean, we do need to know more about what our bodies. I mean, we don't even read the manual, right? If we were a car and we only got one, right? We changed the, you know, we know how to do stuff to, to make us last. Uh, it's, it's yeah. a shame. It's an incredible state of affairs. I deal with theoretically the, the best and brightest to come out of our high schools, right? The kids that go right to four-year colleges and their lack of knowledge about the human body is mind-boggling. Um, and I think that's kind of been my soapbox for the last probably decade now. Of it's got to get, get better. We have to learn how the, how the thing works if we want it to stay healthy. Um, what I was talking to my classes about is we let kids graduate from public and private high schools with no knowledge of their human body, and we wonder why the stats on obesity and hypertension and diabetes are what they are, I don't think it's shocking. I think it makes perfect sense that if you don't teach people how to do things, they're going to do them improperly. And just the same as there's been the call lately to get back, you know, the metal shops and the wood shops and all those, you know, industry things, like – you, you know, I loved metal shop. I love it too. Shop. I love the, oh my I love all that yeah. stuff. Um, you know, but but you know, just the same. It's like we don't we're not doing really any of the things that could prove to be you know useful <laughs> later on down the road. Um, you know, and pursuing. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like the uh, education system might be a topic for my next appearance on the show. <laughs> I have a lot to say about Let's it. Get fired <laughs> up. And, uh, yeah, that's a that's a rabbit hole we might not all need to go down today. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. I'll, ju- I'll jump in on that one as a uh, okay as of as a There's fifteen some gasoline. year. No, no, no. This is good as a fifteen year teacher. Right. I I went into teaching. I love business because I knew that if I taught, I could coach. And I always did personal training and did, you know, my fitness business was always on the side. And I really felt that as I was an English teacher, I don't know how the hell that happened. I was like, oh, academia. Um, But as an English teacher, I felt that the kids were missing so much regarding health and fitness. And, you know, I mean, how much that affects your mind and being depressed and your, your mood. And, you know, when I left teaching, I just felt that. There was so much, I would say, so much missing from their overall experience that I knew when I left, I could make a bigger impact outside of the classroom than I could in. And that's something that, you know, it's tough for me to walk away. I love kids. I love teaching. It was great. You know, it was my older kids, 17, 18-year-olds. But there is a lot to be said. And I love the fact that you just talked about the, like, comorbidities at this point is – like I never used the word comorbidities more right. than I have right. in the last, you know, three or four years. Um, I mean, why why would I be talking about that in the fitness industry and medical fitness industry? But it's real. And the fact that, you know, like you said, we don't have the knowledge. And what what's happening in – it's great that, you know, we all took health class in, you know, in high school. But it, there's a difference between health – and overall health and wellness. And I think that that's something, you know, I guess the the PE teachers are supposed to address certain things and the, you know, in health class, you're supposed to hit certain things, but there's something missing. There's a huge something missing. Like 
we talk about how math and science and, and social studies and English were supposed to do cross-curricular, you know, activities. Well, where the hell is the, like, cross-curricular on health and wellness in everything? It's not. It, it, I, I, I agree with you guys. It's sad state of affairs, and uh, the, the problem is systemic. It's not just with, with teachers, obviously. Uh, one thing I think that it will be interesting to watch is – our generation, where people like the three of us that value fitness, understand the human body, how we deal with our kids, right? Because theoretically, we're the first generation to be adults in the fitness industry the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. The way it's, it's tons of books, tons of information, a million online accounts you can look at. So it's like if we all have kids, how do how do are our kids better because of our knowledge? You got to hope, at least in our houses, we take it to the point where we educate our kids about it, right? Um, and then you got a generation of kids growing up looking at, you know, Instagram models and fitness accounts, you know, they, they live on YouTube. Um, maybe that the good part of that's got to rub off on them and they're learning it outside of school on their tablets or their phones. You, if you keep your fingers crossed. I have no idea if that's what's actually happening or not. Yeah, that's another fine line, you know, that's uh, it, some of that information. It's, it's either going to be useful or harmful or helpful. You know, it's going to fall into one of those buckets. Um, you know, you, you, you just you just don't know. Um, are you, uh, do you know my friend, Brian Price, uh, Dr. Brian Price who's the, uh, I, the, go ahead. I do. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he, uh, he's been at the for a couple of years. His first, um, contact with, with uh, the athletic department to my knowledge was in the fall of 2019. He met with the baseball team with the, the mental toughness and resiliency and bouncing back from mistakes off, right? And he did four presentations, four weeks in a row, and they, they were great. Because a game like baseball, you're, you're surrounded by failure. The best players fail seven out of ten times, right? right. Um, and it, it was really great. And we did that. It, it's really funny, though, man, because I talked to one of our players about this the other day. He did these four great lectures in a meeting room that was packed. We had you know, 35-plus guys in a small conference room. And the hardest thing to remember is, not that long ago, you could pack people in a room like that, and it wasn't the most insane thing you could think about like, during the <laughs> coronavirus era, right? Um, but it was great, man. I got, I got to sit on him. I got to talk to him after everyone. And uh, it's, it's really good, man. His background, as you guys said uh, when you guys talked about him on your show and had him on, his background is impeccable. And I think the techniques he's using and, and applying to athletes, is, is, you can't, I don't know if a lot of what comes out of his mouth you can argue with. He's he's a special dude, and uh, you know I've known him for for boy almost forty years at this point, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's it would be a great connection, right? You know, definitely, definitely, but have him buy you a coffee. It's on me. Um, I'll tell it's on the United that. States of America. All right, <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel's buying you a coffee. <laughs> Can I talk about one other past guest you guys? Please. Had? You guys had Jesse Isler on for the hundredth episode, I guess. Right? Here's I, I was hoping it. I he had a single out back in the early nineties called "Shake It Like a White Girl." Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, he I did. Have the, I have the cassette single of that right here in my garage. Um, <laughs> oh I, my when God. I, was, I, I liked that song on MTV, and I went and bought the single, and then just well, obviously lost. I'm still a hip hop head now, but then when he came out by five ten years ago with the the Jet Company and the the online business stuff, I was like, "Is that the same?" His name was Jesse James. Was Jesse rapping. James, yeah. Like, is that is that Jesse James? And I. <laughs> like, well, that's good for him, man. He turned it around. 
that's a, such a such a weird. That's true. He was doing good then. He's doing better now. But um, yeah, yeah it's the, one of my favorite episodes you guys have done because I I have that that cassette tape right yeah, now. Yeah, he definitely started with some meager beginnings there, but he's uh he's blowing it up. Well, you go from uh you know shaking like a white girl to uh to the marrying the woman who invented spanks. So uh, uh they're doing all right though for themselves. Je- Jesse's an amazing dude. He is uh you know he, he's. Uh, quite the inspiration, and uh, he does a whole lot of good in this world. So, uh, um, you know, you know hey, it doesn't matter where it comes from. And also, go New York, go New York, go, mm-hmm. right? The Knicks song. You know what? When I talk to our student athletes and our students about a lot, I think he's a good example of this that we can talk it, it, We'll kind of laugh at it, but it's true. So many people, they sign up for like a boot camp type fitness workout, or they, they sign up for a marathon, and their goal is just get to the end of that. And then it's over and they're kind of done, right? They don't have that next goal in mind. And he's been a great example of I'm going to accomplish A and then go right to B and then go right to C. And then maybe I'll hit a hiccup, but I'm eventually going to get to D, right? And I think that's a a great way to live life. And he's a good example of it. Um, it, It's awesome. If you run a marathon, that is amazing. You should celebrate for a couple of days and feel great about yourself and put it on your social media. But, like, what's your next thing? What are you doing next? And I think, I think he's been great at that for 30, 30 years now of just, all right, I'm going to do A, you know, be cool with that, and then move on to B, move on to C. Uh-huh. Hey, one issue of college athletics we have that you want to touch on that real quick, a lot of our kids look at the end of their four years playing college sports as like the light at the end of the tunnel with no real plan of what's next, right? Um, and I try to get like, this is a great time in your life, but do internships, meet people, get your resume, get ready for the next thing because that next thing is coming, man, and you got to be, be ready for it. I mean, you are helping these kids so much. This is like it, – it's a straight line. I mean, it goes with athletics. It goes with fitness. It goes with the relationships. It goes with learning, right? How many kids you know, get done with college and barely crack a book or they go into one industry where they spend the next you know, 35 years of their life doing one thing and you know, going doing it from 9 to 5 every day? Uh, you know, taking two weeks off for vacation a year. Oh and, it, you know, so like it just doesn't really, I mean, it, it, there has to be a next. There has to be, you know, rebirths and, you know, further evolutions and, and just, you know, really coming up with more things to do to spark fire in our souls. Or to right? learn. <laughs> right. It's the the second you stop learning and educating yourself, you're not alive anymore. Like get get <laughs> uncomfortable, do crazy stuff, try not to get hurt. But, right. you know, it's that in and of itself is inspiring and inspiring to other people. If I've learned anything in the last, you know, couple years of doing things that other people think are crazy, it's it inspires people to get off their ass and maybe act and do something for themselves that they may not have done before, um, which is which is huge. Hey, what the joke I always make is I've seen people run a marathon and I've seen people watch a Netflix marathon. Guess which one they're happy about themselves with more afterwards. There you mm-hmm. go. Yeah. I mean, hey, we're we're both running addicts over here. <laughs> you don't have to t- <laughs> you don't have to tell us. We're like, "Oh, we just finished this. What's next?" Okay. All right. Let's do this. Um So what is next? What's yeah, next what's for you next? besides the book? You know, you got right, you cool. got training for stuff. What's going on? Yeah, well, right, right now I've kind of jumped head first into the steel mace stuff. Are you are you guys into that? Yes. Yeah, I, I was on the Still Mace Nation podcast back in the beginning of December, and I just was talking about it so much. My wife bought me one for Christmas. So I've been kind of met, trying to get good at that, which is, it's a very humbling implement. Like you think you're pretty decent at, like, with dumbbells and kettlebells and stuff. A mace will put you in your place real quick. Yes. Uh, so I'm trying to get as, as good at that as I can. 
Uh, training wise, my, uh, right now, my next bigger event, I hope to be the New Jersey Marathon. It's going to be in October of 2021. I'll, I'll be it's there. A it's a 10-year anniversary. I ran the first one back in 2011, so I want to jump on that. Um, and then I got to get through the semester in the summer at Seton Hall. Hopefully that goes off without any any COVID-related problems and we just get to play games and training and go well. I have a daughter that's five. She's playing some soccer, doing some gymnastics. Hopefully she keep doing that. And then uh, that's, that's really about it, man. Then a book launch will be in the summer. And then hopefully by the, uh, by the fall, I'm kind of making a podcast rounds again, pumping out some online content and getting that book in people's hands that can actually benefit from it. Yeah, let's do it. You're coming back with us for sure. Uh, once that book drops, we're going to, um, you know, any pre-sales or anything like that? Or you just kind of have to wait for all these things to run its course? I right, Hopefully we got the pre-sales up sometime this spring. Uh, but as of right now, not yet. All right. Well, good. Spring, something to look forward to here. What about you guys? What events you guys have coming up? <sighs> Everything. <laughs> I've got a... Uh, you know, we're just trying, starting to see that some of the running stuff is going to be put back on the calendar for like the, the state stuff, like the USA TF um, Masters mm-hmm. things, like through Shore AC. Uh, I run with them, and uh, you know, just try and see what's going on there. In the meantime, my friends, we've got friends that are putting on like virtual stuff and and doing. Uh, uh, we did. Um, uh, vir- I've done a virtual mile. I've done everything from a mile to a marathon to a marathon in. You know, since COVID started virtually, um, you know, just put together some crazy running stuff. I know if you listen to Aaron Yoder's, uh, you heard that uh, that I did the run up to Christmas, which was pretty wild. That, that was really that's, that's an impressive feat. It's one. Of the, I'll tell you what. I, I was listening to that right, right. and you, you you start thinking about it, and you're like, oh, that's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Then you start doing that math, and it, it's real, man. So congrats on that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, the first like. 14 days was a layup you yeah. know we can we can handle that yeah. um but after that things started getting interesting 20 right? 21 22 <laughs> yeah um the last seven days and and look it's crazy enough people go the whole month i didn't i took it right to christmas eve and then i took it and i <laughs> i stopped um because that you know 20 21 22 23 24 that was a tough week um it, the last seven days i ran 147 miles that's so crazy man <laughs> But More I, power to you. But I feel good. I strength train. I eat well, right? You know, like I like I didn't feel beat up. It, for more than anything, I'm like I'm like you. My my kids are twelve, eight, and seven, right? Three boys, and it's active. And I'm like, where do I find the time to do this? That's what it really started to come down to was the time, you know, getting up really early, cranking out fourteen miles, waiting until you know everyone's settled and home from school and eating food and stuff like that to run out for another nine. It was pretty, you know. It's, it's where do you where do you come up with the time for it? So, um, but all stuff like that, just to kind of keep us keep us active. Conti's got her name on the uh, Christine's got her name on an Ironman uh, sign up sheet oh, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. When and where is that? Um. Oh, first of all, I'm going to say that people are coming up with all these like virtual. Oh, run this, do that. I'm like, oh, we do that every month. Run a marathon <laughs> yeah. yourself, like you know. I, again, I think you know for some of us, it's. We have the motivation. We love doing it. So it's not like we have to have something on the schedule, whereas other people may. Um, but yeah, I'm number one. I'm really I I can't run another virtual Boston. It it just breaks my heart. Hurts from that. So I really hope that comes back at some point. I've got um, I already booked my bed and you know my Airbnb for um, Ironman Chattanooga in when is that September 25th. So. 
so that's go- so I'm doing it either way. I'm going down there by myself and uh, you know getting it done. Um, nice. So yeah, so that'll be my third of that one, and hopefully, you know, I'm sure that when is the um, New Jersey Marathon? October what? Tenth, seventeenth? I think seventeenth, seventeenth that weekend. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll be there then too. We'll all run together. <laughs> yeah, before I mean, I'll see you guys. I that's think fun. I might try to volunteer for some of the smaller stuff and then you know do the race on Sunday. That to me, that's I'm such a Jersey Shore guy. And I, th- I think that's the best event we do down here, man. It runs right in front of my house, so my wife and daughter can come by and watch as I run by. It's really just it's a it's a really great event, man. I want to be a part of it as much as I can because that not happening last year. Of all the crazy things in 2020 that we lost, that one just hit that weekend, man. That hit me in the chest. I'm like, wait, there's really not a New Jersey marathon yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, so I want to jump in that one as much as I can. But one thing, don't you guys think one positive of, of 2020, as bad as it was, was fitness people and event things finding new ways to do things right? right um we just got we you know march and april things shut down and then in may people started being really creative and, and figuring out new ways to do stuff um and i would by the end of the summer i was like in awe of what, what was going on in our industry and just thinking it was it was great man it just happened to be a, a, some small part of it but for a year that was so bad and so many events were canceled and sports didn't happen um I think as, a, as an industry, we did pretty good with making that, that pivot and, and, and standing up and making people be active in a, in a crazy year. I, I agree. I mean, it, it was a point where, where we, you took away like all the stuff that we kind of have to do, right? You know, the things that we maybe would, would do just for our careers or work or just, you know, to fill the, the, the hours the of the day. The travel time. Right. I'm like, I have, wait, yeah. I don't have to be in the car on an airplane every and, day and, or weekend and what it left us what? with yeah I seriously can re- i can work out more <laughs> yeah well I, yeah. that's what i said i said this is great i'm like running and like my kids are on bike rides with us and it's like i you know i said it a million times on the show it's like we're camping and and i you know and and but you know really what it was is like we got we didn't have the obligation anymore so now we can kind of do the stuff that we said we were gonna do if we didn't have to do all that and um you know and some of it was you know things that we love which is our careers and 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 we can you know kind of just do some really neat stuff uh within it you know i had virtual groups and all sorts of stuff i was working with um with teachers you know i do health and wellness and health coaching so like i had groups of teachers that are home you know in 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 virtual and i you know i got to talk to them like you know twice a month and nothing crazy but they came on and they just kind of spewed like all this craziness and i'm like good are we health like let's get healthy here you know um you know always part of the solution never like whining but uh you know it's just allowed us to kind of do some of those things that we weren't going to do because we were busy working yeah definitely so definitely a silver lining at the end of a rough 2020 and hopefully 2021 better for everybody you're here Looking forward. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and talk to you and find out all these uh, awesome, awesome things that you are up to and what's the state of the state at, you know, Seton Hall and what's going on with the athletes. It's I think that there's a lot to be uh, a lot to be learned. I'm excited for your book. I really am. Say the name of it again. Uh, Finish Strong, Resistance Training for Endurance Athletes by myself and Richard Borgers. Uh, out hopefully fall of 2021 on Bloomsbury Publishing, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, all the places you would buy a, buy a book. All right. And uh, how about social media presence? Uh, you know, people find you you're posting a lot of stuff on uh, Instagram and whatnot? Uh, the, the, the best place to find me is finish underscore strong underscore book. Uh, I've got to post some workouts some stuff like that that you'll see in the book. And then just kind of kind of chronicling the, the running scene at the Jersey Shore for right now. And then when you get closer to the book, we'll start you know, giving some more 
contact and links and stuff you can do as you get closer to release. But that's at finish underscore strong underscore book for right now. Awesome. Awesome. I'm on that. This is uh this has been great. I really appreciate it and uh and and listen, you're doing fantastic stuff both with the kids and and uh everything that you've got going on personally and uh we love those runners. So uh it's nice to have, you know, a nice strong dude power lifter Olympic lifter make the convert, you know, make the make the change to uh the dark side, I guess, of endurance sports. Well, thank you guys very much. This is a pleasure. I said I've been listening to the show. I'm going to keep listening to it. And uh, hopefully jump on again at some point. Thank you guys very much. Awesome. Beautiful. All right. Thank you, Angela. All right. With that said, everyone, it is Christine Conte. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazies. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Peace.